Now, we're going to carry on in our series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' perhaps most famous teaching of all. We're looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 to 18. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues or on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, pour oil on your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Religion is a dangerous thing. Um, prayer, giving, coming to church, all of it, can so easily be done either to show off to other people or to feel good about ourselves. Now, perhaps the risk of that nowadays is slightly less than it used to be, but it's still a danger that it's done out of hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is warning us about here, the danger of hypocrisy. Uh, if our faith is acted out in order to impress other people, then Jesus says we will have no reward from our Father in heaven. But he also lays out here the way to avoid that. Jesus teaches all through the passage that we will avoid hypocrisy more and more when we know that God is our loving Father. Hypocrisy comes from a hunger to know that you're admired and loved. You know, and it's understandable in a sense. And all of us have a hunger to be looked up to, to be loved, to be thought well of, don't we? Um, Self-help gurus will tell you the answer to that is to have good self-esteem, to be pleased with yourself. Now, sometimes that may work to an extent, but if you're going through a bad patch, 
or when you aren't worth admiring, or your life is a mess or a washout, it certainly won't. And at its best, even, self-esteem runs the danger, doesn't it, of becoming proud or self-centered or looking down on others. There is another way, a better way. Uh, something that the, the truth that is in self-esteem is, is looking towards. And, and that is the motivation Jesus gives us here. Look at verse 4. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus says this and he repeats it again and again through the passage. For verse 6. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Then similarly in verse 8. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then again in verse 18. Your father who is done, sees what is done in secret will reward you. He repeats himself a lot because he is making a point that sometimes we find hard to take on. He's telling us again and again, the way to avoid hypocrisy and falseness is to realize the reality of the depth of the love of our Father God for us. To realize that he is going to reward us. That all our service to him, every bit, every single bit, however secret it may be, will be rewarded by his well done, good and faithful servant. Now, it is worth saying at this point, we, we're sometimes careless the way we speak. We talk about God as father of all humanity, and he does love all humanity. But when the Bible talks about God as father, it's talking more than, you know, you know how sometimes kings or emperors would call themselves father of their people. And they mean they have a sort of generic care. They care for all their people. It doesn't mean you're welcome for dinner. But when Jesus talks about God as father, he does mean the kind of intimate child-to-father relationship that the best parents have with their children. And so Jesus is, is teaching something that was breathtakingly new to the disciples, that the almighty, the utterly perfect Lord and holy King of heaven, the creator of the stars and planets, doesn't just care about human beings, but it, through his Son, he is willing to make you his child and have you in a close relationship with him through which he will guide you and teach you and love you. That's the truth in, in John 1.12. To all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Jesus came. He, he died to wipe away our sins so that we could come into that close fatherly relationship with God. Something intimate and real. That changes the way we do everything else. The, the structure of that whole passage is broken up by those, those repeated phrases about our Father in heaven. Um, God, Jesus goes on to give a string of examples about different parts of the spiritual life. Parts that actually feature in every religion. Um, prayer, giving, fasting. You know, pretty much any religion on earth has those. But they are utterly changed by the reality of knowing God as our Father. So in 1 to 4, he, he deals with giving. In 5 to 13, with prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, is nested in there as an example of how to pray when you know the reality of this fatherhood of God. We won't go into as much detail on that section because we looked at it less than a year ago now, but we'll see how it fits into this broader teaching. And then he comes finally to the issue of, of fast, forgiving, forgiveness and then of fasting. All things that can be done hypocritically, in front of other people or to make ourselves feel good about ourselves, but also things that when we know our Father's love and care for us can be done 
as we, in, in order to come closer to him. So firstly, giving in 2 to 4. Jesus deals with giving to those in need, to charity, in other words. And Jesus assumes all his disciples will give to help those in need. But there is a danger of giving uh, in a way that we hope will be honored by men. You know, it's hard to say whether, like Jesus says, people literally use trumpets to announce when they were giving. Um, it's a pretty odd image, isn't it? Maybe it's hyperbole. Maybe they actually did. Now, I suppose the closest example nowadays would be um, making sure that when you give to a charity or an organization or a church that you get a nice big plaque so that everyone can remember for the next 50 years or 100 years or 200 years just how wonderful you were. Or a company gives to charity and makes sure their Lego, lo, Lego? logo is carefully blazoned over everything that they do. Jesus says, they have received their reward in full. In other words, you do something in order for people to admire it, you might well get admired. That's your reward. But God's not impressed because he can see the heart. He can see why it's being done. So he says, when we give, we're not even to let our left hand know what our right hand is doing. In other words, don't even use your giving as an opportunity to feel great about yourself. Self-congratulatory. You can do that even when you're giving anonymously, can't you? Don't do it for others to praise you. Don't waste time thinking about it, in fact. Because your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. I think most of us have memories from childhood, don't we, of even if our parents were great, of raging injustices that we were said to have done something that we hadn't done and got punished for it. Or hadn't done something we should have done and got punished for it. Because, sad to say, parents aren't usually omniscient. And the best of us make mistakes. Sometimes, for some of us, parents are deliberately unfair. This God is neither. He sees what is done in secret. He knows exactly what you've done. And he will reward you. In other words, he will, without fail, reward what good you do. We'll talk in a few moments about what that reward is. But you see here, Jesus is saying, you don't need to give in front of everyone else. You don't need to show off. You don't need to look for the approval of others because your father is looking and watching at every single thing you do with approval and love and encouragement and he will reward you. Then praying in 5 to 8 works the same way. You know, it's easy to be, pray in order to be admired for your godliness or your spirituality or your goodness or you're close to God. Or even if you struggle to pray in public, maybe you're tempted sometimes to talk about your prayer life or your Bible reading, how great it is. You know, I've certainly felt the tug in the past of sitting in a prayer meeting in a previous church, praying, not from any good motive, but because I know my boss is watching. But when we pray for those reasons... Um, We've received our reward in full. We've received the reward of people's approval. So Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who's unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, I think we have to be careful with both these truths. Jesus isn't saying we should never give if anyone might see, as if it didn't matter what needs were out there, um, if we were being watched. Similarly, we've been praying Prayer meetings are a good thing. Praying together is a good thing. The Bible, uh, you know, I just did a quick 
count across the Book of Acts. There are at least seven prayer meetings in the Book of Acts alone, and that's not counting Sunday services. It's critically important for the life of the church. It's a wonderful way to learn to grow in prayer. But our life of prayer together must always flow out of life of prayer in secret. Uh, Prayer that's alone with God. Uh, That prayer that reflects and, and grows our relationship with him. That, of course, is the kind of prayer most of us feel most inadequate in, I think. Uh, most of us feel that we don't pray enough or well enough. What will help us most with that isn't learning techniques of prayer. It is being reminded of this reality of a heavenly Father who really is watching, who really is listening, who really does care for you and for everything you say. We, we don't pray so often because we're not really sure if he's listening or we're really not really sure he cares or he has our best in mind or if we'll answer, but he is there. Now, he doesn't reward us, of course, in the way a boss rewards us, you for your work, you know, a wage in turn for a job done or a bonus for a job extra well done. Because after all, prayer isn't for God's good. He doesn't need it, does he? Um, we don't get points for it. Prayer is for our good. It's a bit more like a parent rewarding a child when they learn to ride a bike. You're so pleased, you celebrate the goodness of what they've managed to do. Or celebrating with your kids and they get good grades in an exam. That's what God is doing when he rewards you for your prayer, for your giving. It's not a, a wage earned, but him celebrating something good in you and in your life. He also tells us to pray um, he tells us we don't need to carry on babbling like they're pagans. Now, we, we don't tend to use that word except as an insult. For when Jesus uses it here, he's saying all the people who are not Jewish, you know, the people who believe in loads and loads of different gods, if you believe in all those different gods, those gods aren't particularly interested in you. None of them have a father relationship to you. You know, if you're an ancient Roman or a Greek, the gods are off and they're interested in their own stuff. But if you give them enough, sacrifices or plead with them long enough or pray really spectacularly or um, you know like a lawyer pleading a case or someone trying to flatter a king or an emperor into giving them something then you might get something out of those gods Jesus is saying God's not like that God's not like that at all and so you won't be heard because of your many words keeping on babbling your father knows what you need before you ask him That's the whole point of Christian prayer. Not that we're telling him and and convincing him, twisting his arm, but that as a parent, he wants us to come to him and pray so that we come to know him better because it deepens our relationship with him. And so when we come and we can pray, we can pray so simply. You know, sorry, thank you, please. The kind of words you know as a toddler are easily enough to pray. And that good and healthy prayer comes not from learning great techniques. You know, there's plenty we can learn from other people in in praying and learn from the Bible's prayers. But most of all, the simple realization that he is our father, that he is there, that he is listening, and that he has our good in mind is what will help us to pray well. Now, that's why he then gives the example of the Lord's Prayer. As I said, I won't go through this in too much detail. We'll just look quickly at how it fits into what we've been seeing. Um, It starts with our Father in heaven. 
It's good practice when you're praying, often to start with calling God your Father, because it reminds you what kind of God you're coming to. Um, and that because He is our Father, we don't also don't need to start in sort of panic about our needs first of all. We can talk about the bigger picture first. We pray first of all about His glory, His fatherly rule and care, that it's going to extend from heaven to earth. That His goodness and His greatness and His holiness will be valued and seen everywhere. That's what hallowed be your name means. That your kingdom come. May may the day when he is not just ruling as he does now, but that his rule is accepted and loved all over the earth. May that day come swiftly. And then we're invited to share our needs with him. Or put simply and clearly, you know, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Our needs for food, for practicalities, for forgiveness. For guidance, he does not into temptation. For protection, he does not in, deliver us from the evil one. Because God's our Father, we care about his concerns. And because he's our Father, we can come to him with all our needs, unworried and knowing that he loves to answer. Now, the Lord's Prayer is a great prayer to pray for yourself, but it's also a great pattern for shaping your own prayers, starting with that awareness of his fatherly care, praying for these big concerns and praying also for our own needs. Then Jesus does add a little reminder though. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a truth that comes up repeatedly. We saw it as we went through the Beatitudes. We have to be careful not to misunderstand it. He's not saying that God is holding the threat of unforgiven sin over us when we're not forgiving others. Rather, he's reminding us what forgiveness means. When you don't forgive someone else, you're saying you're better than them. You're setting yourself up and over them in position of judge rather than a fellow wrongdoer. You're saying, you deserve forgiveness, but they don't. And when you're thinking like that, you can't come to God for forgiveness. Uh, with the attitude that we saw in the, in the Beatitudes a few weeks back, being poor in spirit, mourning from the wrong you've done and being merciful as a result. When we have the attitude that comes to God for forgiveness, we also have the attitude that comes out in forgiving others. It doesn't always make forgiveness easy when we've been hurt deeply, does it? Uh, Forgiveness can require coming to God day after day and asking for help to forgive. Um, Corrie Ten Boom, many of you have heard of her. She was in uh, Ravensbrück concentration camp during the war. Um, She and her sister had been sheltering and protecting Jews from the Holocaust. Her sister died in Ravensbrück. And after the war, she was going around talking about God's forgiveness to different audiences and churches through Europe. And one Sunday, some of you will know this story, um, one of the guards from Ravensbrück came and was in the audience and she recognized him. He didn't recognize her. And afterwards, he came up to her and he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was the guard in there. But since that time, I've become a Christian. And I know that God's forgiven me for the cruel things I've done. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Will you forgive me? And, and she's honest. She says, you know, I stood there with a the coldness clutching my heart. She, forgiveness didn't come naturally. So she prayed, Jesus, help me. I can... I can lift my hand to shake his hand. I can do that much, but I need you to give the feeling of forgiveness. And so she says, woodenly and mechanically, she lifted up her hand and 
at that moment, uh, she felt a warmth of forgiveness in her whole self. And tears came to her eyes and she was able to say, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. Forgiveness can be that deep and that real. And she says, and this is important, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. There's a reason forgiveness is in here in this section that's so much devoted to God's love for us as Father. When we live like this, when we forgive, when we are willing to come as people forgiving and being forgiven, we will suddenly be so much more aware of the depth and the power of his love. Finally, Jesus comes to the example of fasting. It's not a big part of many people's lives nowadays, but it is interesting. Jesus assumes that his disciples will fast, not giving up chocolate for Lent, but giving up food entirely, you know, a meal for maybe a meal or or a day's food or something like that. Um, Something that's come back in diets like the 5-2 fasting diet, which turns out to be remarkably healthy, coincidentally. But the point of fasting, of course, rather than health, is it's saying, God, I want you, I long for you more than I long for food itself that I need to sustain my life. Um, Every relationship of love requires self-sacrifice and it's a a kind of sign of the self-sacrifice. We say, I'm willing to give up the things I love most that are most important to me to demonstrate that I I want you, God. And so fasting is often there in the New Testament as a way of saying that and of devoting yourself to prayer particularly. It's something well worth doing for growth in our relationship with God and to bring new power to our prayer life. And Jesus says, of course, it is something with real dangers. It's, a, it, it's something, a, you know, a bit more than most people do. So it's very easy to show off. And people in his day were doing that. They were wandering around looking very serious and long-faced so that everyone would know they were fasting and what great people they were. And Jesus says, no, no, no. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. Oil is, you know, Moisturizer, moisturizer, which you need in a hot place like Palestine, um, and deodorant at the same time. You know, clean yourself up properly. Go out looking like you normally would, so it's not obvious to people that you're fasting. Make yourself nice and presentable, but your father will see. Your father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. Now, most of us are probably not in immediate danger of showing off our goodness by fasting in going around with long faces to show it. But there are so many ways, aren't there, in which we can very easily try and just remind other people of how wonderful we are. Whether it's things like coming to church or giving to charity and letting people know exactly how generous we are, um, or much more subtle things. I, I think a, a lot of chat about politics is often a way of saying to other people, I've got the right view and I'm on the right side and I'm the best sort of person. But if we know that our Father in heaven is standing there to reward us, we will not have that hunger anymore for people to see how great we are. If you know that you are loved, truly, deeply, unshakably, eternally loved, Loved with a love that will move mountains for you. Loved with a love that went to the cross for you so that you could become his son. Then you don't need self-esteem in a sense. You don't need to love yourself because you are already more loved than you could ever imagine. 
And Jesus says, you are loved that way. And what's more, your heavenly father is there every moment. He's with you in secret. And he will reward you. When, when it comes to end, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. When you do that, when you know that, you no longer need to act out of a hunger to be loved. Now Jesus talks again and again here in this passage of rewards. It, it feels very odd, doesn't it, to think of rewards in heaven. You know, we get there through his forgiveness, through his grace. We don't deserve it. So how come there are rewards there? You know, surely you don't get extra points. But at the same time, the New Testament is very clear that he will reward us for good done. Not because we deserve it, but once again, and like, as I said earlier, like parents celebrating something that a child has done well. Um, what those rewards will look like, it's hard to say. I'm guessing the great British pound will have diminished in value by the time we get to heaven. Perhaps what he's saying, and I think there's signs of this in Revelation, where he talks about some people being close to the throne of God in heaven. You know, the best things on earth are relationships. You know, there are lots of wonderful things, but the greatest joys come from love and being loved, whether that's friendship or marriage or whatever. The greatest joys in heaven will also be in relationships with one another, certainly, but most of all with him. A great joy will be that one day we will see him face to face and live intimately with him as our everlasting father. Some of us... When we do good, we increase our capacity to feel that love. It, some people have suggested that the rewards that he's talking about is that increased capacity to know the love of God so that each of us, when we are in heaven, we will be absolutely filled with love and joy. But perhaps by doing what is right, by staying close to him in this life, we increase that capacity for love and joy. As if you have two buckets of different sizes, both absolutely full, but one that's bigger so it can contain more love and joy. Just a suggestion. We don't know what the rewards will be, but we know that he rewards us. When we come to the end of a passage like this, we have to ask ourselves, do we really know God as our Father? with that kind of intimate care for us, that constantly present and overshadowing love. Some of us may realize when we look into our hearts that we're still acting like wage earners or like unloved stepchildren or people who are so conscious of the way our own parents have let us down, as if our God is a parent like them who never really has our best good at heart. His love is waiting for us all the time. And if we will accept it, if we'll admit that all our religion, all our morality isn't enough to deserve his reward, that we need his forgiveness and his trust, he is willing to welcome us into that adopted love and fatherly care. But wherever we stand, even if we do know him as our father already, let's press in further. Let's seek in our prayer lives and in the rest of our lives to know him better 
as a God who loves us and cares for us and is watching over us at every moment, ready to reward us and to love us. Let's pray. Dear Father, please show us the reality of what it is to have you as a father. Please drive out the hypocrisy and self-righteousness that so easily comes into our hearts and replace it with a deep, deep awareness that we are loved by you. And if anyone here does not know you truly as their Father, we pray that they will come to you today. That they will come to trust you truly and deeply for the first time. But for each of us, may we, by the power of your Spirit, know the depth and the glory and the wonder of your love. In Jesus' name.